Origins on the Future of Supply Chain are special one-off episodes where we have founders share their personal stories, chronicle the founding of their startup, and pass on lessons from building their business. To hear all of our episodes or to leave us a note, head over to podcast.donimo.vc or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Let's get into today's show. Hey, ladies and gents, welcome back to the Future Supply Chain Podcast. I'm your host, Santosh Sankar, and joining me on this wonderful Friday morning in Chattanooga is my partner, Barry Large. Barry, welcome. Good to be here. Excited to be on for the first time. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk about your uh, journey from operator to investor and uh, for some of the folks on uh, on the podcast, they might not be quite aware of your body of experience, but would you take us on the journey here briefly? Sure, sure. So uh, I grew up in a family um, of entrepreneurs. Uh, my dad uh, was in the building materials business, so I kind of soaked up from an early age being in the office on a brickyard, just what it, what it took, the good and the bad of running your own business. Um, in college, uh, two of my best friends and I kind of dreamed of starting our own business. Uh, Ted, one of my partners, also a GP in Dynamo, took a job in uh, the freight industry. C.H. Uh, Robinson was that initial company, kind of the bellwether freight broker at that time and frankly still today. And Pretty, qu- pretty quickly, uh, within a couple of years, we birthed Access America, uh, the, the, the family brick business in Chattanooga, uh, incubated this little uh, side project uh, of Access America in 2002. And pretty modest beginnings in a glorified closet <laughs> in a brickyard in Chattanooga, uh, t- and Ted uh, even at that early stage had pretty big dreams of how big this could be. And over the next, uh, decade or so, uh, access became one of the largest, fastest growing private freight brokers in the country. And we, uh, we really didn't intentionally like, like many things in life, uh, you kind of happenstance and luck and timing, uh, kind of, uh, forge your path. And so, we really didn't deliberately get into this industry. It was really Ted's first job, but uh, luckily, uh, I think we, we entered into it at a pretty awesome time. And, and mind you, you took no venture capital. You, you, you had the good fortune of not knowing what VC was. We did, yeah, we were pretty naive and, we were, uh, and pretty clueless to what even venture was. So we, uh, through some initial uh, friendly loans, uh, a loan from my dad and, and then the, uh, the brick company providing some back, back office support early. That was kind of our seed. And then after three or four years of building our business to where I think we'd probably be doing 30 million in top line revenue at the time, we created our, had our own credit facility, had a local bank here take a, take a risk on us. And we bootstrapped it through, through good old fashioned conventional, uh, debt uh, into being, you know, a uh, pretty sizable broker at the time. And uh, it all culminated about five years ago. Yep. So we we are uh, kind of, we naturally uh, find ourselves starting new stuff. 
even amongst the access journey, we began to notice that uh, Ted and Alan and myself spent a lot of time and energy thinking about new things to start amidst this this kind of uh, engine of Access America that kept growing. And so uh, we started a, an insurance broker that sold to trucking companies. We started an actual asset-based company, a, a kind of a niche carrier. We just kind of found ourselves a little more interested in the starting and building phase than the maintaining phase. And Access continued through the really more competent hands of our leadership, um, the Chad Eichelbergers, the Steve Coxes of the world, to, to, to grow. Uh, and we were heading towards some sort of event, I think, oh, uh, IPO potentially. This is about 2012. Um, and we uh, began talking to one of our largest uh, competitors at the time. Uh, Coyote Logistics was growing faster than we were, which was kind of, we, we always fancied ourselves the fastest growing, but uh, Coyote had started, uh, had started in late, the late 2000s and had kind of hurtled past us in growth rate. And we started talking kind of just in uh, really very informal terms, and before you knew it, the idea was these two companies to merge, for Coyote to take uh, the, the steering wheel of Access America and to go public. And within that time frame of post-merger to, to going public, uh, I think UPS entered the picture and UPS purchased Coyote. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I think it's been a, a pretty powerful marriage. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And so what, what we have is your evolution, if you would, from operator to present day investor. How do you think about seed stage opportunities now? Because you've sat on the other side of the table. You know what it feels like to be a founder grappling with all the different challenges you have, let alone just trying to raise money from a fund like sure. IMO. Sure. Yeah. You know, we, um, we began in the early uh, teens here in 2011-ish to dabble in uh, deploying early stage capital here in Chattanooga in a very hands-on kind of uh, incubation type model. And we, uh, I think, discovered as investors, and this is a pretty obvious conclusion in retrospect, that uh, you invest in what you know. Uh, you invest back, you lean back into your, to your, uh, you know, the experience uh, and the time you've spent uh, in your industry, and we um, we made twenty or so investments here in the local market, and it became apparent that when we invested back into anything that smelled logistics, didn't have to be necessarily straight, you know, kind of freight, uh, domestic freight, trucking, or uh, movement of, of of rail, but when we invested in our industry, the movement of products uh, or even the movement of people that one we had a lot more to give as investors not just capital but we could we could tap back into all those lessons we had learned uh, both industry and just kind of you know agnostic from industry uh, but also I think we were a little more adept at, at 
finding qualities in both the founders uh, and in, in just the idea uh, to make a you know to make to de-risk these investments uh, to make sure. obviously obviously when you when you invest capital at the stage we invest it's a high risk high reward proposition um, so so yeah I mean I think um, we try to invest uh, in not necessarily what we know but trying to go solve problems in parts of the industry that remind us of some of the problems we were trying to solve yeah. in the 2010s. And, and that's not, it's not necessarily meaning we're investing back into the freight brokerage space because uh, it's becoming pretty mature yeah. uh, and it has attracted uh, a good bit of capital um, from you know growth VCs and some of the big boys. But what are those other parts of the ecosystem uh, that may not be quite as mature and where technology really hasn't been used and utilized in the most progressive kind of uh, innovative way. We're al always looking for those opportunities. Yeah, and I, I want to get to a few of the investments you lead here at, at uh, Dynamo, but when you think about supporting a founder, the way you support is very different than the way John or myself support um, and that has to do with the fact that you, you're an operator not that long ago. Um, what, what is kind of that difference in perspective, difference in approach? Because I think a lot of the founders who work with you can feel that. It, there's a tangible difference. Sure, sure. I think it is. Um, one, I think uh, when you're not that removed from the stress and the, and the fire of the journey, um, then I think there's a greater ability to, to empathize. Um, you know, I, I think back to kind of those years, uh, years maybe three through seven of Access America when, when we were launched and it was clear we were onto something, um, but the ride just kind of, it felt like it took off so quickly that at times we were just trying to hold on to the steering wheel. And, and a lot of that pressure was internalized amongst us. Uh, there was no, there wasn't necessarily the external pressure uh, that can come with uh, outside capital. And so when we become that first outside capital many times, it's just to be mindful of that, mindful of the tremendous amount of pressure uh, that, that these founders can be under and certainly uh, play that role of accountability as an investor, but also like be there as a, a for support. Yeah. Be it's like parenting. Uh, apply pressure when you need to apply pressure, but apply love when you need to uh, offer up some love. Yeah. Um, and then that, what I find a lot of uh, for myself is many times you end up playing the role of therapist because yeah. uh, I think co-founding dynamics uh, and generally we invest in in. Uh, co-founders yep. teams not not exclusively but we find ourselves generally investing in a team um, those can be incredibly stressful difficult years uh, when you're scaling and to be there just to preemptively help some of these teams sort out some emotional dynamics between themselves if you can do that earlier than earlier than later uh, the business is going to be a lot healthier long term yeah and uh, was there anything you did either through the journey or, or after the journey? Because I've 
been speaking with a few of our founders to get a coach or some type of independent party to support them emotionally and also just their mental sure. for, state. For ourselves? Yeah. Um, we had some trusted advisors uh, that would, I always remember, and we, and we definitely got better at this uh, later in our access journey, but I always remember in like 2005, 2006, 2007, um, we weren't doing a great job of sharing a lot of that kind of pent up uh, resentment or, or kind of just, just dissension between us. And every year we would uh, have our kind of formal um, board meeting for, to record our minutes and kind of, and we'd come downtown here, to, here where we sit in Chattanooga about a block away and our, our attorneys, a couple really sharp local attorneys would come in the room and things would just kind of, they were, I think, generally caught flat-footed and things would just start airing yeah. between us and uh, after they kind of picked up their mouth off the floor, our attorneys, they did a really good job of, of being kind of this impartial, many times not ignorant, but, but you know, they, they really didn't understand the dynamics, but they, they would always uh, kind of be an early sounding board to try to parse through some of this un, undealt with emotion. I think we got better with that as we went. We never really got an outside coach. Um, in retrospect, it would have been healthy. Um, we did, uh, when, because of some of this uh, kind of uh, difficulty, uh, interpersonal stuff during those years, when we started Lamp Post, which was our um, local VC investment fund, uh, we brought on as a partner a licensed therapist yep. uh, to try to be mindful of both for our own dynamic uh, as investors and, uh, and also though being mindful of in these companies we invested in that these same problems are, are cross industry, cross co company. They're just a part of being human. And it was an intentional effort to have that resource available. Yep. Uh, for founders. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to shift gears here. Um, you've, you've gone through one cycle of building a freight brokerage company. There's been obviously a, a lot of change um, to the way um, kind of brokerages are set up, built, developed, and, and equally international forwarders as well. Um, how did we get where to where we are today, where might we be going from from your vantage point? And one of your more notable investments here is Sender uh, out of Berlin. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you look at this industry, it's really not that old. Uh, it's been around since um, the late 70s, early 80s. Yep. Dere deregulation. deregulation of trucking really even allowed it to exist. Uh, and I think for the for the first 30 or so years, it was, for the most part, done in a similar way it was done in, in the 80s. I mean, by, by the time we built Access America and scaled it, um, we certainly were tech-enabled, but human beings were doing the heavy lifting still for us. Um, I think when a company like Coyote came along, 
uh, they started in the late 2000s, they always knew uh, and saw that you better be investing heavily in tech uh, to be viable long-term in this industry. And I think it's happened maybe a little slower, this, the automation of the industry, than I would have guessed five, 10 years ago. Um, I think maybe if you, if you were to look at the way it was done in 2000, year 2000, maybe 15% of the process is automated. Yep. I think now maybe more like 50, you know, I, I'm, uh, it, that could vary by 20% based on yeah. the company. But I mean, we continue to move towards uh, increasing amount of automation. I mean, theoretically on paper, when you look at this industry and you compare it to something like the, the, the uh, commercial airline industry, it, in theory, it could be automated pretty easily. In practice, it's much, much more difficult. Yeah. Um, but we're moving into an era where to, to compete, you have to, you have to, uh, your revenue per head, your, your, your uh, tech ability has to, has to be there uh, because margins are gonna continue to get compressed. Yeah. And now you have people like Amazon, Uber into the market and they're you know, voluntarily gonna take freight at uh, the low single digits yep. in margin. So if you're an incumbent, you're forced, you're to forced, act. you're forced to act and you're, you better be able to operate, uh, at four or 5% margin long-term. Uh, but in most of the industries built on the assumption of a 10 to 15%. Yeah. And it's, so we've, we've seen an approach where you can kind of build full stack. You build software to enable your own machine proprietary to whatever name your brokerage but then there's also attempts to uh, provide more of a horizontal piece of software to enable every brokerage out there. Is there a right approach? Is there a better approach? I don't think there's a better, it's just a, it's a very different approach. And, and from a company standpoint uh, and an execution standpoint, very diff can be a very different skill set yeah. to succeed. And um, you know, there, there is no, I think, uh, definitively better approach. Um, I know from being an operator on the actual brokerage, uh, vertical approach, um, it has been, it, it has been a wonderful industry to be in. I probably skew now towards being a little more interested in the, in the platform software enabled piece of it. But again, according to the qualities of the founding team and kind of the ultimate mission, I think either can be uh, and fruitful. With that, going back to the transformation in the industry, you talked about how incumbents are brokering at 10 to 15%. Amazon, Uber, Convoy, a lot of the venture-backed players are almost forcing the hand. Is the pace of change do you feel like it's accelerated over the last five years since you, um, you know, exited access? Is that going to continue? Where are we? I think it's, yeah, I mean, the market is so massive. Um, I think if I had to guess based on um, a bit of insight, you've, the, the Amazons and the, the Ubers and the convoys are, are, have grown at a nice, healthy rate, impressive rate. And are you know billionish in top line revenue, and that's still ultimately 
just kind of a drop in the bucket. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's really been felt yet, though it's, I mean, you know, when you look at kind of compounding growth, if, you could, if, they, if these companies continue to grow at 100% a year, the law of large numbers uh, makes them pretty big quickly. Yeah. So I, I don't feel like we've really felt it yet. Uh, we think the next five to 10 years. Um, and you still have uh, this incredibly long tail of supply yeah. on the capacity side that um, that is making the transformation go relatively slow. Yeah. Again, compared to what it could be kind of in theory. <laughs> um, but it feels inevitable. It's just a matter of, is it 10, 15, 20, 25 years? Yeah. Um, and, there's, and there's many, many uh, incumbents poised uh, to thrive uh, and survive uh, even in this trend. This is, I, I don't believe that like a Uber or Lyft, like some of these consumer uh, plays, that it's, it's, a, it's a monopolistic outcome, yeah. whether it ends up being two, I can, I can, in the U.S. ride-sharing market, I, I would guess um, there's going to be um, a decent amount of options out there. I yeah. just, I just, I would be surprised if it ends up being two or three yeah. ultimate winners. So there's room uh, uh, for for lots of people to, to survive and thrive. And it, it, that's one reason we we like our we call it a niche, but it's sure. pretty damn large niche, but similar to financial services, you're not going to park all of your funds in one institution or bank with just one or two parties. Similarly, in supply chain, you have certain caps to exposure, so they're, they're always going to be multiple winners um, because of risk. But, but what we love at, at Dynamo is to, is to identify, again, other parts of the ecosystem that share some of these same similarities uh, and you know, things like stored, where it's trying to um, give uh, small warehousers the tech and the access to large uh, customers. Um, Sender yep. is trying to execute uh, on this kind of uh, American model of brokerage in Europe. Yep. Um, Scoopos, uh, which is trying to give small convenience stores the software and uh, an ability to to manage and get in with large brands. Yeah. So it, it, it's it's not necessarily leaning back into freight brokerage, but f where else out in this uh, supply chain and mobility landscape are they these same types of opportunities? Yeah. They're being un underserved by technology. Yeah, and founders who come to visit us probably observe that we get giddy and excited when things are fragmented, have long tails, might be a little. Uh, more difficult to acquire, and a lot of it is yep. because of what you've experienced. Yeah, bring us the unsexy. Yeah, that's kind of our our philosophy. Yeah, and bring us the um, the B two B. Yeah, uh, like uh, venture. Uh, if this space broadly has received um, venture capital, it's generally skewed more towards the last mile segment. Yeah. It's skewed more towards B2C type plays. Uh, and we, we uh, just love the idea of that 
unsexy B2B solving some sort of problem in the supply chain that no customer ever realized existed, but it allowed that customer to buy that good cheaper. Yep, that's right, and faster. (laughs) Right, and faster, whatever. So to close this out here, you know, you've... You've been an operator. You're now an investor. You work with a lot of our portfolio companies. If you could look back to provide your own self some advice when you're in your 20s, what would that be? What would that one nugget of wisdom? Um, hmm. I think when you're in the middle of it, uh, like fight or flight, instinctively always kicks in if there's a if there's a problem if there's if there is a a change in the business if you you lose a customer if an employee who you thought was valuable leaves if you're in a a disagreement with your co-founders in that moment uh it feels like uh this is a fight or flight moment that and that if 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 you just had the ability uh to realize that this is not the end of the world. Uh, control your emotions. Don't be reactive. Breathe. Stay curious about what's going on. Uh, deal with deal with whatever. Don't put off what's bothering you in the situation. You have to deal with it. Uh, but just ability to, to have some perspective and realize like the world's not ending, or I don't have to defeat. And, abol- and, and annihilate right. whoever I'm in a disagreement with or whatever conflict has arise. Yeah. It's just kind of that wisdom to kind of breathe and, yeah. and, and be curious about what's going on and why you're reacting a certain way it is. It's, just, it's one of those things that I still struggle with it, but when I was 25 or 30, uh, it was, it, yeah, everything just felt viscerally uh, just, you know, on the surface. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. I, 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 the, the way you describe it, um, I can think of like from when you're a teenager to, as you grow, a lot of those emotions feel so strong. Sure. But when I reflect on that and like just silly things like your first crush spurning sure. you, your first kind of, um, true moment of rejection, maybe at a job or a college. But then as you have kind of experience, you realize it's, it's not all awful. But the reality is you have to do it to learn and grow and evolve. So I could give myself that advice, uh, and I, w- I wasn't going to follow it. It's the same way when I'm advising founders. I can share my own experience and my own things I've learned, and then, but I can't make them ultimately uh, change their behavior. I can... I can reveal what I've learned and then many times it's you you're you're watching them walk right into that same fire but many times it's the only way we learn yeah. so sometimes it's 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 kind of, it's difficult to watch but you know iron sharpens iron and that's just kind of it's part of the journey yep yep totally agree hey Barry this is a great episode appreciate you being on with us no problem thanks cheers Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked. And be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Until next time.